Welcome everyone to this service where we not only gather to remember and remember with fondness the life of Phil Van Dam, but especially turn our attention to not only what was his professed hope, but the hope of all who place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as we can gather then and remember him in the best way to remember him in his faith as well as now experience that comfort that God's word can provide those of us here who grieve his passing. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. And it's in this that we hope it's in this that we even find that comfort that God gives to us all. That's why we have gathered together to remember Phil's earthly life, to look with hope on the promise of a greater life, an eternal life, and a comfort for his people. Let's bow in prayer. Eternal Father, you love us with a love vast, a love incomprehensible a love that we can experience and see with an even greater clarity at times like these than we can in a day-to-day -day life. Help us to hear your words of eternal life. Help especially Sharon to be comforted by these words as well as us who are the, the friends, the family, the brothers and sisters of Phil, brothers and sisters in this, in this most important sense of our union with Christ. Bring us to your word and to Jesus, who is our only hope of comfort in such times of grief, that your will would be done in all things. And we pray that you would guide us to the comfort of the gospel, that you would shine your light and the peace of your presence through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Sharon, on behalf of the church and all those gathered here, we express our deepest sympathies to you as you grieve, as well as the promise to lift you up in prayers as you go through this time. You are always in our prayers. As we set our hope on the comfort of the Lord, I have asked one of the seminarians who's been attending our church if he would be, reading, would be willing to read several verses and texts from Scripture, as well as a prayer that would speak and direct us to that hope. Bryce, would you come up? morning. How important it is that we, uh, in times like this, uh, draw our attention to God's Word, which has so much to say um, and so much comfort to offer us. Uh, we're going to begin by looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, which says, For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what has been planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek, and a time to lose. A time to keep, and a time to cast away. 
a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Turning now to Job 19, which is a passage that sees Job even centuries before Christ looking to the hope of his Redeemer, looking forward with hopeful expectation amidst death and sorrow and pain and loss to that future glory which awaits all of God's children. Job 19.23 says, Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that with an iron pen and lead they were engraved in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last he will stand upon the earth. After my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. Job says, I know that my Redeemer lives, and that I will see my God. Psalm 121 says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. God is our keeper, neither sleeping nor slumbering, always mindful of his children, bringing them safely home to himself. Next, we turn to John's gospel, the story of of Lazarus, someone who had died and whose family was mourning his death. And John 11, 17 says, Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. And so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? What hope this is. Jesus does not just offer resurrection, but is himself that resurrection. He does not just offer life, but is himself that very life. And he says, if you believe in him, though you die, yet shall you Live And a few chapters later in John 14, Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Jesus says, if there was no place for you in heaven, I wouldn't have bothered telling you about it. If you were not meant to be with me in heaven, I wouldn't bother preparing a room for you. But there is a place for you. And that's where Bill is now. In that place which Christ has prepared for him. And we come to the last book of the Bible, we find these comforting words from Revelation chapter 7. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God. They serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to the springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Let's pray. Father, we know that your child, Bill Van Dam, is present with you right now. That he is basking in your glory, free from every form of pain, filled with indescribable joy and peace. And we know that these words of yours were not read for his sake, but for ours. For he has reached his destination. He has made it home. He has joined that great multitude of saints whom you have purchased with the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, your only begotten Son, our Lord. With Job, we look to him, we look to our Redeemer, the one who has promised to deliver us, the one who has sealed that promise with his very blood, the one who has promised resurrection, then rose again on the third day, the one who has promised us heaven and who sits there at the right hand of God. The one who can sympathize with our weaknesses, our infirmities, our humanness. Yes, none other than Jesus Christ himself. And we praise you this morning, uh, Jesus, for you alone are worthy, worthy, worthy. We praise you this morning because you deserve to be praised. We bring before you the Van Dam family and all those who are grieving the loss of their loved one. We ask that your word be with them, to be a comfort to them, that your promises, that your promise of the gospel, hope be published anew in their hearts this morning, that your most Holy Spirit would come upon them and fill their hearts with the truth and the hope of that gospel, a gospel which says that all those who trust in Jesus Christ for all those who have put their faith in him, death has lost its sting. Remind them that through Christ, they will see their loved one again. Just as together we shall all congregate once more, once and for all time. Amen. This time I'd ask that you uh, turn in your hymnal to song 496. My
Jesus, I love thee. We'll sing all of the stanzas. Please stand if you are able.
At this time, we will hear some words from Gene Tun, a lifetime friend of Phil. Hi to everyone. I've been a friend of this guy since we were six years old. <laughs> We grew up in the Reformed Church. That's where I met him in beginner Sunday school class. Uh, and that went through to Sunday school, CE, choir, Bible school, you name it, we were there. And we were always in the same class. We were only, he was what, 25 or so days younger than me. So he always called me the older guy. You know, I was the older one. Yeah. <laughs> and, I was going to hit 80 before he did, you know, but we didn't quite make that. He didn't make it. I don't know if I will or not, but God willing. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I think it's something, a life for Phil and I and for all who are believers is kind of a, it's like the highway to heaven, the old TV show. You're on that highway to heaven. Phil's highway had a lot of detours and bad <laughs> road work and everything else going on, especially this last month or so. And it was just, uh, uh, oh, it was hard for me to see him go through this. And uh, he did. He, we prayed together. He prayed with me. I had a blessed time with him. He's probably as close to being a brother to me as my own brothers are. Backed even closer sometimes, <laughs> but uh, he was. We were in the church, and we were good reformed boys, but we weren't choir boys either. We had a lot of <laughs> things that we did together that uh, we're not talking about today. But uh, uh, I will talk about one thing we did. Uh, Bill's dad had a very nice '57 Oldsmobile '98 four-door sedan, real hot rod. And me and Phil and five other guys, <laughs> picture that, decided to see how it would go down Salt Trail back out in Rose in the Chicago area. The only trouble was, came over a hill and road ended. Well, car didn't stop. <laughs> the brakes weren't as good as the acceleration was. So we managed to jump the road. There was a crown in the road, so we jumped over the road into the ditch. I had called shotgun, so here I was in right front, no seat belts, no nothing. And this is in 1961. So there's no cell phones, there's no nothing out there. And we stopped very quickly. My four friends in the back broke the front seat and pushed me into the dash. So, got out of the car, started walking down the road, deserted nothing road, and an angel came. Some guy in a plaid shirt and an old truck or a gold car or whatever, I can't remember all of it, took us to the hospital. I, I would probably not have made it if, we hadn't, if he hadn't done that, but it happened. And it was something that taught me a lesson, you know, besides the prayer in the car to, oh, God save me from this, you know, and all that. Uh, just the thing, look out for an angel when they appear. Sometimes they, they look a little different than you think they might. And... Uh, that was one of our highway to heaven things that uh, we had. Another time, 
Phil and I both worked at R.R. Donnelly, which is downtown, and on Saturday nights, we did Time Magazine. Time Magazine closed on Saturday nights. We were involved in the composition of Time Magazine. So your weekly magazine got printed on Sunday that finished up on Saturday night, and they always held it as long as they could to get as much of the late news that they could get in it. So coming home, Sunday morning, 7 o'clock on the Dan Ryan, some guy decided to get on the Dan Ryan going the wrong way. And he, I saw it coming, I saw him take out a couple of cars ahead of me, and I just saw dirt dusty over on the side of the shoulder there, and all of a sudden here he comes. A big old Buick Electra 225, big, big old car. And he's coming for me, I shoved over and changed lanes, and hit the car next to me. And he missed me, but he got the car behind me. And spun, I spun my car around and I ended up, and people behind me, they, they had kids that got hurt and everything else, it was a real mess. And I was sitting there and I went over by that to see what we could do over for the people that were, uh, you know, injured. And Bill came by, because he had worked that night with us on the time Saturday, and he came by and he saw the car sitting on the side of the road. And he looped around, got back off, came back around, so there was my angel, right there. <laughs> and again, you know, no cell phones, no nothing, so, and I was thinking, foolish as I was and young as it was then, that we could, I could work that whole night and Mary and I could go up to Elkhart Lake to see the star, the, uh, whatever race was going on up there at the racetrack. So we were going to do that. So she was waiting at her mom's house for me to come home and get her and off we went. But Phil took me to a phone, found a phone booth in the neighborhood there and uh, called her up and said, hi, this is Phil. Gina's accident, everything's okay. <laughs> Before he let me talk to her, I could barely hold the phone, you know. It, uh, and uh, that, was, that was another case. There, there was my angel. And that, uh, that's what it was. That, uh, another thing that we really shared together was music. Bill was a great trombone player. And one of the guys that he admired the most was Bill Pierce, who was one of the best trombone players that ever lived. And I had some records of Bill Pierce, and that. we would listen to that. Uh, we were also interested in Southern Gospel. Bill and I had gone to the concerts downtown when they used to have all night, midnight sings. They'd uh, sing at the Medina Temple that has now been <laughs> corrupted into a gambling house. <laughs> but uh, anyway, at that time, it was, a, it was a place of, it was a holy place. You know, the Blackwood Brothers, the Statesmen, the Spear family, all of that stuff, we grew up with that. And this is all in the early, mid-60s and whatever. So we shared that love of music. And uh, Phil and Sharon and... Karen, when she was still here, uh, would come out to our house and the girls would stay upstairs and Phil and I would retire to the basement, shoot pool, and listen to the old records, either of the Statesmen or big bands or... So anyway, there was a big music connection there between us. And uh, this man was a good friend to me. He was, I would say, my best friend. 
I would, I would have to say that. And I think he thought I was too. I think we shared that. And uh, one of the things that uh, Sharon had asked for uh, was a song that I'm going to play. And I want to read some of the words of it. The song is No More Night. I don't know if you're familiar with it or not. It, uh, but the chorus of the song is just appropriate. That, uh, the words are, no more night and no more pain, no more tears, never crying again. Praises to the great I am, we will live in the light of the risen lamb. And I'm going to play that for you on the piano as a tribute to Phil. Thank you.
Thank you, Gene, for that. That was very beautiful. The passage that I selected today to say some words on, to meditate on, is Psalm 16. Psalm 16. Beginning verse 1, it says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel, and the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's the end of Psalm 16, a psalm that presents so many of the promises of God towards his people, and one of the reasons I selected it today, that we would put before us the promises of God and the hope for God's people. It shines so bright, those words, when you read it in this context, when your mind starts to, to not only think of what those words might mean towards us here, and that's it's often how we read God's word, what does it mean to me in this life, but, but not only that, to what it means truly and eternally, what it means to not be shaken, what it means to have all of our goodness in God, what it means to have our life preserved. I always wonder when a, a death comes and the grief and tragedy of it, I always wonder how bold a Christian can be in the middle of it and in the midst of, of that tragic time, that enemy that death is. There are plenty of people who may not know the truth and may not have a relationship with God, who, who may not have faith, who will try to approach that and, and, and maybe try to reason it away, that they, they might say they're not afraid to die, or they might say that death is just the pathway that all men must take, and so even an unbeliever at times might seem to often a certain level of boldness facing this tragedy, facing this grief. And yet when you think of it, is a certain boldness or confidence based on no hope, no security, a proper boldness, a proper confidence, or is that not just rather tragic and foolish? To be bold in the face of something that we can't endure, we can't hold. What we see in this psalm is there is a boldness that a saint and a believer has. And that boldness is not in that sort of bravado and, and, and arrogant way we might say that we lived our life our way, it was my way, I faced it on my own terms, I, I faced life and, and I lived it to the full. That's what you might hear. Sort of a false pride when it comes right down to it, even if they had it to the end. 
Because where does true confidence lie? Where, where does our confidence lie? And what was Phil's profession and, and where his confidence would lie? It lies in the words of this psalm, Preserve me, O God, that God is our refuge and so we will not be shaken. You see, strength in the midst of grief, boldness in the midst of death doesn't come from us. and It was never meant to. It comes from a profession of faith and a knowledge of God. And in that, then, we face this life and even the tragedies of life with boldness. That's one of the reasons I selected it. it the beauty of this psalm shines out in a funeral service. Another reason I selected it was because in conversations with Phil and Sharon, I believe this is how Phil did face his final days with the boldness of a profession, the boldness of Christ. I had asked him in one of the visits how he was doing spiritually, how he was at this time, this very, very difficult time of life. And though he could hardly speak, though you could hardly even understand his words, he was saying that he has trusted in the Lord and trusts now, and so spiritually he's doing well. And, and that's where I'm getting at that, that boldness. It's not the, the kind that, that stands and says, look at me or, or look how great I am. Preserve me. Shelter me, O oh God. You see, a Christian's boldness is in a sheltered life. And that's what Psalm 16 presents for us, a Christian in a sheltered life. Mostly, that, that term can be used negatively. We might say that that person was very sheltered. And what we mean is that person didn't have the experiences or the wisdom to know better. That person was sort of naive. They're sheltered. That's, that's not the type of sheltering this psalm presents. This psalm presents the preservation, the refuge, the sheltering under the wings of God himself. And so a confidence that we have there. And I also selected this psalm not only as it makes me think of, of Phil and, and his final days, but as well those of us here. And I cannot imagine a psalm that would present to us the hope and, and, and take the promises that we can even use now, but direct them to the, their eternal glory, their eternal answer that we find in God himself. And so we see it in these verses, how God is our shelter. Verse 1, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Here you see what we're talking about there, that preservation, that sheltering, that refuge. A refuge is a place of security. It is a place of shelter. And David could say in the psalm to preserve him because in God he sought his refuge. We always find in God our refuge, our shelter, our strength. This is all over Scripture. It's all over the Psalter. Psalm 34.4 says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Psalm 34, verse 7 says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. The, the Psalter is full of these verses that are intended to give us strength and peace and shelter us in this life, pointing a direction towards a final shelter in the life to come. And all of these promises are known fully and glorified, where we do experience nothing but the shelter of God. Verse 2 of this psalm says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. What a statement. What a statement that our very goodness and everything good that we will ever face is entirely wrapped up in who God is. Goodness in God. 
I have no good apart from you. This is, this is a statement, not only could I never have it, I will never have goodness apart from you. It's a statement that gives to the Lord praise that everything good that happens and everything even bad that happens, God turns to the good of his people. We know only goodness in God. We can never experience anything other than that, that David could know in declaring that outside of who God is, there is no goodness. Earlier, Bryce read from Ecclesiastes about a time to, to weep, a time to cry and mourn in that, that passage. Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes also talks about the vanity of life outside of God. But in God, it's good and goodness. Verse 3, as, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. And this verse really struck me as I was reading it and in, in, in thinking of what, what's happened and, and actually where the, the saints and those who profess faith go. David is saying even in this earth, even on this earth in his life, he takes great joy and great delight in his fellow believers, in the saints of God. And we experience that. We took great delight in Phil, and Phil took great delight in his brothers and sisters in the church and in Christ. There was that experience. But my mind, and, and I think our mind here, should go to that final level of, of where all believers will go, where those who trust in Jesus end up, and the delight that isn't ending here, and the delight we, we have in part here that reaches its fulfillment there. And our loved ones is this delight wrapped up in the delight and goodness we have in God and that blessing. Verses 5 and 6, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Those verses speak of, of the portioning of the land of Israel, of, of when they took possession of it and there was by lot and by line it was divided up and they were given an inheritance. And what's amazing is that these verses, David is saying, where, where's that lot lying? Where, what's the heritage? Where's the pleasant place in the promised land of God that I receive? What is it? The Lord is my chosen portion in whom is my delight. That's what he's saying. Truly, our lines have fallen on pleasant places, indeed a beautiful inheritance that God's people know, and, and their inheritance is nothing but God himself. What the promised land was meant to portray, dwelling with God forever, that is the inheritance of God's people, a chosen portion being the Lord. That confidence, that sheltering even occurs there. The land in which to dwell is with him. Verse 8 I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. That has a present promise as well as a future fulfillment. The present promise in this life that what we face will not shake us, will not, will not rattle us to the point of failure, to, to loss of faith, to being shaken away from the Lord. We will not be shaken, those who trust in God. And then there's a full fulfillment that, that at the end of the day we will be secured. At the end of the day the promises of God will preserve us fully and finally and we can never be touched again. Never mourn nor grieve. We will not be shaken. Do you see the positives of being sheltered? A sheltered life. Do you see how without this we can't face the griefs of life? None of us can. But with them we have refuge, preservation, you see where, where this goes. You see where, how can this be fulfilled? 
In Acts chapter 2, Peter quotes this psalm. He, he reads from it. Peter quotes the psalm directly, and he applies verses 8 through 11 to Jesus himself and to what Jesus fulfilled. And you can see why. Because on the surface, David's words don't seem to come true. On the surface, David's words, words seem to be a lie. Right? Can't, can't we see that now better than, than you can? We, we look at the life of one who professed faith. We look at Phil's life and we would say, but wait, hasn't he been shaken? Has his life been preserved? Has he find, found a shelter and a refuge? Has he found preservation? Because it might appear to the, our eyes as if it was in vain. It's a fair question, right? David penned these words and he himself died, didn't he? This is what Peter says in Acts 2, 29 and following. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. You see what, what Peter is doing? He's saying, David spoke these words, and, and they were true of David, and they are true for us on a sense here, even to our physical, fleshly bodies. We are preserved in the promises of God, though our flesh may fade away. We may and indeed will face death if the Lord tarries. Yes, that is true, but you see what Peter is saying. These words David spoke fully and finally weren't that he himself wouldn't die but that his descendant was coming who would not see corruption, who would conquer death, who would be raised, who would be preserved, and in so doing would shelter all of his people in the process. And that's David's hope. Peter even says, David being a prophet, knowing that this would happen, and that's our comfort as well. And so we take these words and we say, even now as we walk the remainder of our lives as we take up our daily existence and pass the Lord is preserving us even now day by day he is our refuge day by day and that's fully and finally true in death itself resurrection life for those who believe Christ is the answer and so verses 9 and 10 with that application of Christ and then towards us makes so much sense therefore David says my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices my flesh also dwells secure for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption and now these promises through Christ take on that that actual twist this isn't just a poetic fulfillment his flesh, you notice what's glad here. He says, what's glad? His heart, his whole being, his flesh, his soul, all that can make up who you are is preserved, is protected, is gladdened. And dwelling secure in God that we truly will not see the corruption. You see, for a saint, our security and our knowledge that will not abandon us in the grave is that. And that's what you trust in, right? Bill had quite a final few weeks on earth. His heart wasn't where he wanted it to be, and he had battled that for many years. He had lived a life of a lot of pain before that. 
but his flesh, his soul, will find glory and glorification, will find renewal, will we'll see no more heart problems at all. And though he could hardly speak at the end because of the tube that had damaged his throat, his voice will be preserved, he will speak again. But with these promises to, to fill to us through Christ, being sheltered by him, and that is how we face death with boldness and confidence and trust. And so we can see, can see the end of this psalm. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I think that's a truth that those who have passed know so clearly now being at the hand of God and pleasures forevermore. This is why I think the psalm fits so well into a funeral, funeral service for a believer. The promises that they receive. And so we here, as we come to, to pour our grief out, to, to receive comfort from God's word, we can say, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. And we can still say to the Lord, you are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. A sheltered life. The Lord is always before us because he is at our right hand. We will not be shaken. And that let it be our trust. Let that be our confidence. Let that be our comfort. That all the promises of the Lord find their yes in Christ and so find their fulfillment even in us, our whole beings, as we cling to him in that hope. Let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, we are so thankful to read, even in this setting, which is a sad one, time to grieve. We put before our, our hearts, our, our eyes, and our ears the promises of God of a sheltered life. Father, at times we may feel like it's, it's not sheltered. At times we may feel like we are rather out in the open and in the elements and being battered even to death. That could be how we feel. And yet, even there at the end of the day, in Christ and in your preservation, we see you have shielded us from the true death itself, from the loss of your presence, from the loss of your, your smiling countenance. And instead, at the end of the day, for those who trust, we see your, your smiling face, we see your blessings. We, we know truly what the psalm is saying. The, the inheritance has truly fallen on a blessed place. For you are our chosen portion. Lord, we pray that you would watch over those here. That you would comfort the believing heart in this. And that for those who need to, to know you as their Lord and Savior, that they would find this comfort in you and in your Son through faith. And we especially pray for Sharon, for the loved ones of Phil, that you would be with, be with her, be with them, and give to them this, this peace, this refuge, that they would not be shaken. We pray this in your name. Amen. Would you turn in your hymnals to number 257? 257, we're going to stand and sing Children of the Heavenly Father, verses 1 and 4, verses 1 and 4 of 257, and let's stand and sing.
The burial for Phil will take place a little bit uh, later this afternoon at Skyline Memorial Park in Monee, Illinois. You're invited to join with us and Sharon as we make our way there later uh, this afternoon. And I say later because immediately following the service here, you're invited on behalf of uh, Sharon to attend a luncheon here. It will be held at church. There will be a time of uh, fellowship, and as I said, lunch will be served as well. Following that, we'll line up the cars, those of you who would like to go with us to the cemetery, and make our way uh, to the cemetery for the committal and burial service. On behalf of Sharon, uh, a special word of thanks to you, Pastor Voss, uh, for your leadership today, for Bryce, for reading uh, scripture today, and Gene, a special thanks to you, as you said, a uh, longtime uh, friend uh, of Phil, a uh, special relationship, uh, working partner, so uh, we appreciate your words and leading us in the comfort of music uh, that always is, I've said this so many times, but it's so true, I attend a lot of funerals, and music brings us uh, such peace and comfort, and so we thank you, Gene, for your leadership in that today as well. In a moment, pastor's going to have a prayer, and he's going to include a prayer for the meal, so that once we exit and uh, let you guys out, uh, row by row, we'll kind of start from the back at the conclusion of the service. You may make your way into the fellowship room and begin lunch uh, immediately. We'll have prayer here for the meal, uh, as well as a closing prayer. So as we usher you out, just make your way to your tables and begin eating uh, at that time. Pastor, if you'll uh, conclude the service for us, we appreciate it. Let's pray. God of all grace, you sent your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, to bring life and immortality into the world. And we give you thanks that by his death he destroyed the grip of death and that by his resurrection he opened the kingdom of God to all believers. Make us confident of that because he lives and so we know we shall also live. Deepen our conviction that neither death or life nor things present nor things to come nor anything else in all creation shall be able to separate us from his love and immerse us now in that love even as we experience a, a down payment, a portion of that in a daily provision and a meal, a meal, Lord, that we can share together to remember Phil's life and anticipate even greater meals in which to come. We ask this in your name. Amen.